Thank you for joining me as we look at our third midweek Lenten service for this year. Pastor Joel Voss from Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Lansing was here at Calvary tonight preaching, and I'm going to look at the, the sermon text that he preached on thinking about our series, God on Trial and the Subject of Sympathy. We're going to begin with our order of service in the bulletin. We worship in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In this holy season of Lent, we gather in the shadow of the cross of Christ. Let us turn our hearts to God, who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We seek the truth of God, trusting in his unfailing mercy. His compassion and grace will never cease. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Dear friends, let us approach God with a true heart and confess our sins, asking him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. O Lord, hear my prayer, listen to my cry for mercy, and in your faithfulness come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Jesus says to his people, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. His death paid for the guilt of your sins and the sins of the whole world. Do you believe this? Because of the promise of our Savior Jesus, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Be assured that you are a dear child of God and an heir of eternal life. Praise be to God for his gift of forgiveness, new life, and salvation. We sing a song of thanksgiving. Come to Calvary's holy mountain, sinners ruined by the fall. Here a pure and healing fountain flows to you for me for all. In a full perpetual tide, Open when our Savior died. They that drink shall live forever. Tis a soul-renewing flood. God is faithful. God will never break his covenant of blood. Signed when our Redeemer died. Sealed when he was glorified. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day of grace now drawing to a close. Stay with us and bring peace to our hearts that with your forgiving love in Christ, that with your forgiving love in Christ, may your word keep our faith burning brightly that we may walk in the light of your presence 
through the darkness of this world. Amen. We continue this evening with our second reading from the Passion History using that comp composite reading from the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. While Jesus and his disciples were eating on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to his disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Dear children, I am going to be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you also are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus replied, will you really lay down your life for me? Simon, Simon, pay attention. Satan has asked to have you all so that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brothers. Jesus answered, even if all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Amen, I tell you, tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same. He said to them, When I sent you out without money bag, traveler's bag, and sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they said. Then he told them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a traveler's bag, and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. He was counted with the transgressors. Indeed, what is written about me is going to have its fulfillment. They said, Lord, look, here are two swords. He said to them, that is enough. Then Jesus said to them, This night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. After they sang a hymn, Jesus went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives, where there was a garden called Gethsemane. He and his disciples went into it, now Judas, who was betraying him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. When he reached the place, Jesus told his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Keep praying that you may not enter 
into temptation. Then he took Peter, James, and John along with him and began to be troubled and distressed. He said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When he rose from prayer, he went to his to the disciples and found them sleeping as a result of sorrow. He said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Were you not strong enough to keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to pass from me, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Again he returned and found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what they should answer him. He left them again, went away and prayed a third time. He said the same words as before. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. As he was in agony, he prayed more fervently. His sweat became like great drops of blood fall falling to the ground. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Look, my betrayer is near. While Jesus was still speaking, suddenly Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd with lanterns, torches, swords, and clubs, who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Judas was leading them. Jesus, knowing everything that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who are you looking for? Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas the betrayer was standing with them. When Jesus told them, I am he, he backed away and fell to the ground. Then Jesus asked them again, Who are you looking for? Jesus the Nazarene, they said. I told you that I am he, Jesus replied. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the statement he had spoken. I did not lose any of those you have given me. Now the betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Immediately he went to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Then they advanced, took hold of Jesus, and arrested him. When those who were around him saw what was about to happen, they said to him, Lord, should we strike with a sword? Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. But Jesus responded, Stop, no more of this. Put your sword back into its place because all those who take the sword will die by the sword. Do you not realize that I could call on my father and at once he would provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? But then... 
how would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? Then he touched the servant's ear and healed him. At that same time, Jesus said to the crowd, Have you come out to arrest me with swords and clubs as if I were a robber? Day after day I was sitting in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But all this has happened so that the writings of the prophets would be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. The company of soldiers, their commander, and the Jewish guards arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas because he was the father-in-law to Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews, it is better that one man die for the people. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's sing our hymn, hymn 108, Jesus, Refuge of the Weary. Jesus, refuge of the weary, blessed Redeemer, whom we love. Fountain in life's desert dreary, Savior from the world above. Oh, how oft your eyes offended, gaze upon the sinner's fall. Yet upon the cross extended, you endured the pain of all. Dare we pass that cross unheeding, breathing no repentant vow. As we see you wounded, bleeding, see your throne, thorn-encircled brow. Since your sinless death has brought us life eternal, peace and rest, only what your grace has taught us comes the sinner's deep distress. Jesus, may our hearts be burning with more fervent love for you. May our eyes be ever turning to behold your cross anew, till in glory parted never from the blessed Savior's side. Graven in our hearts forever, dwell the cross, the crucified. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. Amen. The word of God we want to consider this evening is from Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 34. 
where Luke was inspired to write, as the, they led Jesus away, they seized Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country. They placed the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large crowd of people was following him, including women who were mourning and wailing for him. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Be sure of this, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never gave birth and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things to the green wood, what will happen to the dry? Two other men who were criminals were led away with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there with the criminals, one on his right and one and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They cast lots to divide his garments among them. Let's bow our heads for prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, who art our strength and our salvation. Amen. My dear fellow sufferers with Jesus, it's said that right now in our country, two-thirds of Americans profess to be Christians, and now that's down from 10 years ago when it's, the report was that three-fourths of the people in our country profess to be Christians, and it's also said that within one generation, Christians will end up being in the minority in this country. Our, our youth already right now are in a minority amongst their peers, the youth of our country. Less than half of them profess to be Christians, and the non-Christians of the population, they, they don't have that very favorable of a view of us anymore either. They're likely to describe us as being oh, misogynistic, that means prejudiced against women, racist, invasive, rather than generous and friendly and caring. That's how an awful lot of people view Christians today, and those are just the stats. But what about the stories that you end up hearing? A middle-aged middle schooler is shamed by his teacher because he said that Jesus, that God created the world. A, a woman, she loses her job because she refused to glow along with the immoral and unethical behavior that was in the workplace. Students and teachers are targeted by a shooter because they are Christians. Now, you've heard the stories, and you may have heard your own as well. And we haven't yet mentioned the funny looks, the, the barbed comments, 
and the cold shoulders that we get from unbelievers all the time. We poor Christians. Should we look for pity because of how we're viewed? We, we won't get it from the world, that's the fact. Most people are happy to see Christianity fading in popularity. That's kind of a sad thing to admit. Wanting Christians to be put into their place. Poor Christians, is that what we should say? Should we be looking for sympathy like that because of how we're viewed? Well, what would Jesus say? Poor Christians? As we continue to look at our series, God on Trial, Jesus, makes, Jesus sure makes for a, a sympathetic figure as we see him on his way to Golgotha to be crucified. Actually, pathetic might be a better way to describe him. His back is shredded from scourging. His face must be bruised from, from the beatings that he had taken from the Jewish leaders and from Herod and Pilate and their, their cronies who were after him. Blood drips from the thorns that were, from that crown of thorns that was in his scalp. And after a night without sleeping, but with constant abuse, he's absolutely thoroughly exhausted. His body crumbles under the weight of the cross and, and he can't carry it anymore. And they have to enlist Simon of Cyrene to carry the cross for Jesus. No wonder the women mourned and wailed as Jesus was going to the cross and, and those people who were following behind Jesus, oh, maybe they were believers, maybe they were just simply citizens of Jerusalem who were drawn to the crowd and seeing what was going on. They, they burst into tears at the sight of this human being who was the God-man, of course, who was being treated so absolutely brutally. But what does Jesus say? He says, don't cry for me. No sympathy for me, please. Mourn for yourselves and your children. In fact, just five days before this, what Jesus did is he wept over the people of Jerusalem because they rejected the Messiah they would end up experiencing God's judgment. The time was coming when mothers would rather be childless than to have to watch their children suffer. The time would be coming when people would rather be crushed to death by a mountain falling on them than being starved or tortured or captured by their enemies. And History records for us the horrific things that happened to mothers and children when the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem a generation later. Things too horrible for us to mention right now. Jesus used a proverb in his warning. He said, if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? He seems to be saying that if he, an innocent one, was tortured as he was and put to death, 
how much more properly could the sinful inhabitants of Jerusalem expect to suffer and die? And maybe we could turn this to ourselves. If, if Jesus, the perfect son of God, was put on trial like this and suffered so, why should we sinners be surprised when, when the same thing happens to us as well? When we hear about the decline of Christianity in our country, when we read about society moving away from godly values, or when we steal, feel the sting of mockery and rejection, our natural thing, the natural tendency is to think, oh, woe is me, and to look for sympathy but that reveals a problem of perspective. If we look at the big picture, what we experience now really is nothing compared to what Christians around the world are suffering right now and what they have at different times suffered throughout the ages. Christians have gone through some horrible things, much worse than we'll ever endure. The the comfort and the societal approval that we Christians have enjoyed in this country for generations, they're not the norm. They're not the norm. More important, the woe is me mentality is, is really sinfully self-centered. It leads us to complain, to grumble and complain, to lash out and to... Well, just say, woe is me, how terrible things are for my, us. But what did God ever tell, but when did God ever tell us to play the, the victim? Self-pity really is the opposite of what we see in Jesus. His pity is not for himself, but it's for the women and the children and the husbands and all of the countrymen who would end up suffering. So, of course, that's not the full extent of his pity. Follow his stumbling footsteps to the cross and watch him being lifted up like a criminal. And what were his first words then? Woe is me? No, his first words, Father, forgive them. Forgive who? The disciples? The poor women? No, those soldiers who were driving the nails into his hands and feet. Those were the ones who needed the sympathy. Those were the ones who needed Jesus' pity. And now Jesus' words, when you think about it, they show us the heart of someone who wasn't focused on himself, but was focused on others. He was thinking about the families of Israel. He was thinking about those soldiers who really had no idea what they were really doing, that they were crucifying the Son of God. He was also thinking about you and me. If Jesus had pitied himself, he could have easily gotten himself out of the situation. But he was pitying us wretched sinners who were, apart from his work, facing eternal destruction, facing eternal destruction far worse than anything that the Romans could end up meeting out 
and they meted out some pretty terrible things. We deserve to face God's wrath on the last day with no mountain in sight to cover us. But Jesus had sympathy on us. Now relish that thought for a moment. Jesus had sympathy for us. His heart went out to you and me. But he didn't just weep for you and me. He took God's punishment for sin upon himself. He died for you. He went through real hell for you. He shed his blood to cover you, to hide you from the destruction to come. Through pain and fatigue and insult, through all of that, you were on his mind. To say that Jesus didn't want sympathy for himself isn't to say that he didn't deserve sympathy, that his suffering wasn't so bad. What he went through, absolutely horrible. That should be obvious to us. There's a reason why the women there were moved to tears at the sight of what Jesus was going through. Here was a man in his prime and he couldn't carry the beam of wood. That tells us how much he was suffering at that particular time. And to say also here that Jesus doesn't want us to look for sympathy isn't to say that he doesn't have pity on us. Again, nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus knows our pain. He knows what we're going through. He's, he's felt it. He can sympathize with us in our weakness. His heart, it still goes out to us when we suffer, and especially when we would suffer in his name. But he doesn't want us to wallow in self-pity. He doesn't want us to, he wants us rather to look at ourselves and then look to him and let him help us carry our crosses as we follow him and as we find strength in his word and in the sacraments. He wants us to look past ourselves and have pity on those around us. We have brothers and sisters in the faith who are who are struggling with pain and temptation. We have, fellow, we have fellow followers of Jesus who are feeling the attacks of anti the anti-Christian forces of this world, many of them who are feeling very much alone. Our Savior, he wants us to sympathize with them, to pray for them, to reach out to them, to remind them of God's promises. Jesus would also have us direct our sympathy even toward our enemies. There is this destruction coming that this world just absolutely cannot fathom, namely something that is worse than the atrocities that took place in Jerusalem when it went down generation after Jesus died. And the people of this world, even those who make life harder for us as Christians don't know that that is coming. Many of those people who put 
God on trial are like the soldiers who were crucifying Jesus. They have no idea what they're doing. They think they're fighting against, well, Christianity's outdated values and old-fashioned fairy tales, fighting for the rights of humans to, to live free. They don't realize that they're fighting against the Son of God, and they have no idea how badly that fight will end for them. What if we thought of those people not as enemies or as obstacles, but as fellow sinners who have been so duped by Satan's lies that they're doing his bidding without realizing it? We can have pity on them. We can sympathize. We can have sympathy on them. We can warn them. We can pray for them. And we can tell them about God's forgiveness that Jesus won for them and for all people with his death on the cross, just like Jesus did. We can point them to the Savior whose compassion, whose sympathy knows no limit. In other words, we can have sympathy on others, even people that maybe you wouldn't think you should have sympathy on. Poor Christians? Is that what we should say we are? What would Jesus say? We know the answer because in a sermon on a different mountain three years earlier, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are we, happy to suffer for Jesus. When the world treats us like it treated Jesus, we're reminded then that the Father sees that the Father sees us like he sees his Son, righteous and royal. Poor Christians, pity, why? We're believing children of God. We're heirs of heaven. Amen. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day. Forgive me all my sins and graciously keep me this night. Into your hands I commend my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Oh, and Lord God, in our prayers tonight, we'll, we'll keep on praying for Paula Burris. She's got some real problems with her legs and, and the infection there and needing to go to wound care for that. We pray for Tony Alfaro, still dealing with complications in, from the pancreatitis and the gallbladder surgery and, and other things. And we keep on praying for Diane Kennedy dealing with problems with her back and perhaps a small stroke and other things. Keep Karen Ripley in our prayers after her hospital stay. Lord God, we ask you to please have mercy on these folks and in, if it's according to your will, grant healing. But as we always say, please keep giving to them and all of us more of your grace and mercy and love. We are so blessed because you do sympathize with us and our trials and troubles, but you do so much more. You gave us Jesus to live and die for us, to win for us the kingdom, so that we can be part of that kingdom forever in heaven. Thank you, dear Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to direct and rule us according to your will, to comfort us in all afflictions, to defend us from all error, and to lead us into all truth. We pray through the merits of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Thank you again for joining me as we looked at our third Wednesday Lenten service. Look forward to having you join us for more, well, we have three more Wednesday Lenten services coming up and then Holy Week and Easter coming on up. Again, thank you for joining me for worship. The Lord bless and keep you always.